Good stuff, isn't it? Comedian Milton Berle. How many of you remember Milton Berle? Remember him? That's when comedy was fairly clean anyway. He said this, laughter is the instant vacation. Others have said laughter is a shock absorber that eases the blow of life. Someone else has said what soap is to the body, laughter is to the soul. And I think all of us could use a good laugh every now and then, don't we? All right, Philippians chapter 4, if you'll go ahead and turn there. I just want to give you something, a survey or a study that was conducted by the University of Maryland. And here's what they said. It shows that laughter is good for the heart. It releases chemicals into the bloodstreams that relax the blood vessels. In addition, laughter can reduce blood pressure and heart rate. It can also improve your immune system, strengthen your cardiovascular system, reduce stress, lift depression, and even relieve pain. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, based on what it can do, I need to laugh more. But how many of you have laughed so hard that you've had a headache? Have you ever done that before? What's that all about? I mean, is, is that some of this releasing itself? I don't know. But, but it is amazing. And so this year, we started this, this whole idea of a New Year's revolution. We started December 31st. We've made our way to today. And in 2018, this is what I've challenged you to do. Lead intentionally. Live passionately. Last week, love lavishly. And today, laugh frequently. Just find those times that you can get away or, or those times when you can laugh and, and maybe even have a good old belly laugh if you know what I'm talking about. But look at the introduction on your outline. According to a recent survey, a group of 90-year-olds were asked what they would have done differently with their lives. Their responses were, take more risks. Do more things that would last after their passing. There's actually another one there that I failed to put. Not worry as much. And then last of all, laugh more. They wish they would have taken the time to laugh more. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 17 that a happy heart is good medicine. So not only are we finding uh, the fact that we need to laugh from comedians and what studies have conducted, but even God's word addresses the fact that we just need to laugh more. We need to laugh. There's times to grieve, but there's also times to laugh. Several places in the Psalms, it reads that God himself laughs. That's pretty interesting when you think about it. Now, as Christians, we should be joyful, but how do we get there? with the stresses and the struggles of this world. I mean, think about all the things that we're faced with. And some of you are faced with some uh, very challenging things in your life, bigger things that are bigger than you are, things that it's like, I don't know how I'll ever get through this. But that whole idea of joy can even be in the midst of the worst things that we deal with. It's possible for it to work its way in your life. But how do we get there? So look on your outline. To experience joy and laughter, number one, we need to be knowledgeable. Knowledgeable. You say, well, what does that have to do with joy and laughter? Well, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And this is one of them commands that he repeats. And again, I say rejoice. He's saying, hey, laugh, have joy. And again, I say laugh, have joy. And it's amazing. Now, think about this verse. It's a command, but it's more than just being joyful. 
Joy is not rooted in our circumstances or in something. I mean, think about it. If we, if we got the best news possible, it's easy to be happy about it. It's easy to have joy for that. If we got something, and, and sometimes we fill our lives with a bunch of things because we're trying to find joy. And, and guess what? Once the news worn off, we're looking for something else, aren't we? But when you think about it, joy is rooted in a person. And this verse tells us, he says, rejoice, how? In the Lord. In the Lord. That's where we find our joy. That's where we find the peace and the, the joy that we so desperately strive to have in our lives. Listen, our joy and stability is related to our knowledge of God. And again, you may say, how in the world, how, how do they link up? I want you to think about this. This knowledge of God, who he is what he desires, why his plans are, why he provides on our behalf. These are the questions that when we come to God's word that we need to be focused on and we need to realize that there's someone who's beyond us, someone who's beyond this world and the evil that exists in it that we many times it falls upon us, uh, the, the, the turmoil that this world's under. We need to realize there's someone greater than all that and he's the one that can bring joy to our hearts in spite of what we're dealing with or in spite of where we're living or how we're living. You see, the knowledge of God is the key to rejoicing. He is our creator and our only hope, and therefore our joy and laughter. Psalms 126 says this, Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. One form of humor that was used back in the first century in the Jewish culture was based on hyperbolas and, and, and or hyperboles. And many of you know what those are. This is which you use intentional exaggerations that are not intended to be taken literally. And for some reason in the first century, that was a lot of the humor that was going on back then. Now, are you aware that Jesus even used this type of humor in the scriptures? He did. I think sometimes when we think of Jesus uh, walking the face of the earth, and especially those three years where we've been able to peer into his life, and, and it's recorded by four different individuals, and, and the Holy Spirit puts his stamp of approval on all of it too. It's amazing that when we look at it, we think Jesus just kind of walked through life, holy and mom, you know, that whole idea, a little halo on top. But no, Jesus, I'm just going to be honest with you. And you, some of you may say, this sounds disrespectful, but I don't believe it is. Jesus, many times would have been very, it would have been cool to hang out with Jesus. I'm just going to tell you. I, I think there were times in which he was funny. I think there were times in which he was sincere. I think there were times in which he, he had a joy that far outweighed the circumstances he found himself in, him, himself in. I think he modeled what it was supposed to be like. And it's amazing how many times we take our views of who Jesus is through movies or pictures that we see in churches and all that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but y'all, there was a joy about Jesus. You know how I know that? Because the little children couldn't get enough of him. If you look, they were literally trying to keep the children away from him so he could get on with what he needed to get on to. And what did Jesus say? He said, no, let him come unto me. It's the whole idea that Jesus, there was a joy that was associated with Jesus. Think about one thing that he said. He says this in the Sermon on the Mount. It seemed to be a very serious moment. 
But he used humor, it seemed. Why do you worry about the speck of sawdust in your friend's eye when you have a plank in your own eye? Y'all, that was humor. That was humor back then. And we look at it and we think, oh my goodness, we don't need to be making fun of that. That's a very serious charge there. Now, <laughs> you know what? When Jesus said that, the whole place would have burst out laughing. Uh, Jesus knew how to communicate. He knew how to communicate by using humor. Next, to experience joy and laughter, we need to be pleasant. Need to be pleasant. How many of you like hanging out with pleasant people? Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's such a, it's such a joy. It's a, it just brings something out of you when you're around pleasant people. Philippians 4 says in verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. Listen to what gentleness is. It means sweet. It means considerate. It means friendly. It means merciful toward the failures and faults of others. It means to not be mean-spirited. Now, all describe a person who is not troubled themselves. How many of you found out that how many of you found out in life that hurting people hurt people? Did, can I carry it a step further? Troubled people trouble people. You, did you know that? How many of you know that? If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> because there comes times in our lives, especially on, on the most intimate of relationships between a husband and wife, and, and, and my wife, she'll, she'll call me out many times. Well, what's going on? Why are you, why are you acting this way? What, what prompted this? <laughs> Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. This happens in your home too. And, and, and it's a whole idea of, of where did the sweetness go? Where did the consideration go? Where, where, why are you so mean-spirited? All describe a person who is not troubled. When, when I'm troubled, I'm difficult to live with. Can any of you relate to that? I'm difficult to live with. I, I'm not fun. I, I don't laugh. I'm not joyful. I remember, you're, you're going to laugh at this, but I remember when I first uh, became the pastor, and every week it was my responsibility to come and share God's Word. And, 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 I, and I'll be honest with you, I still get very nervous when I get up here. And sometimes it shows up more than others, but uh, uh, it does. And, and, and some of you are sitting there saying, well, well you, you're supposed to be a perfect. No, I'm not. I'm far from it. But I'm going to tell you one thing that used to happen, and it's gotten, gotten better. But, but as Sunday would approach, and I've talked to other pastors, and they tell me the same thing happens with them. As Sunday was, would approach, especially when I was in the younger days of my preaching ministry, by noon on Saturday, I became very difficult to live with. And she's probably shaking her hand over here, head over here where, she, where we are. <laughs> I did. I mean, it's almost like the pressure of what was getting ready to happen tomorrow was laying on me. And, and I didn't really know how to deal with it and the nervousness and all that. And how, how many of you, you could relate it to, how many of you remember when you were in school or in college and you had that big exam the next day? Or you had that paper that was due and you waited till the last minute and you're trying to get it all done. Now, the sermon would be done. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I've never been one of those to get it at 11 o'clock on, on Saturday night. I, I can't operate that way. I would be terrible. I'd be hurting people at that point. But anyway, but, but it's that whole thing of, of just learning to, to what are things that can do to, to make you more of a pleasant person. Now, just to put you at ease... It used to be at noon, I'd turn into this person that my family didn't know. Now I've got it worked all the way down to about 7.30 at night. And then I just go to bed. I just check out so I just don't show myself or anything. But it is. It's just that pressure that you feel. But, but it's this whole idea that when we're troubled, many times we, we trouble other people. And we need to learn to be pleasant. 
Next, to experience joy and laughter, we need to be prepared. When I'm prepared, I can deal with things better. How, how many of you can relate to that? When you're prepared, you can deal with things better. Even though it may be difficult, I can still find joy in the midst of it. If it's nothing more than the fact that, boy, I'm so glad I got this done. I'm so glad that even though this is the deadline, I, I just have the joy that I got it done. How, how many of you, when you get overwhelmed, you're very difficult to live with? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Thanks for your honesty. I appreciate it. But, but, but yeah, many of us, it becomes very difficult. We become a whole different person when we get overwhelmed. But it's that whole idea of just being prepared. Now, some of you are going to say, now, how does this relate to what you just said? But I want you to look at Philippians chapter 4 and look at verse 5 again. I want you to see what it says. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Okay? Now, all would include who? Wife, husband, children, neighbors, everybody. Okay? And then it says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, many of you could look at this and say, what in the world does that have to do with anything? What's, what's verse 5 all about? This could mean one of two things. Jesus' return or the fact that Jesus is watching you. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Hey, just by the way, let me, let me tell you this. There's a little accountability associated with this. The Lord's watching. How many of you would say, boy, that's comforting. But it's that whole idea of knowing. It's not just doing what you're supposed to do, but knowing that you're accountable to someone, knowing that it's something that you need to do, something that you need to be prepared to do. Uh, Jesus could come back any time. Am I correct in saying that? Come back any time. I don't know about you, but when he comes back, I want him to find me doing the right thing. And I want to be prepared for that. And so that joy of just being there. Now, think of this. Since we're all going to pass away someday, now is the time to be sure that our future is secure and settled. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at what it says. We've used this verse many times, but it speaks to so many different situations. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles... Some of you are sitting here saying, what I'm dealing with is not light, it's not moment. I'm, I'm, <laughs> this is a long haul thing. He says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs anything we're dealing with. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, here's the problem with many of our lives, and this is the reason we don't have joy. This is the reason we're not prepared. It's because we don't work on what is considered on the inside, those things that we can't see. We're so focused on the things that we do see. We're, we're so focused on the body. We're so focused on the things that will perish and leave one day. And yet, many times, we're not working on that which is eternal, which is our soul, which is our spirit. But we spend so much time on the temporal. Listen, our joy, listen, for it to be out of this world has to reach out of this world. 
It has to reach to something greater than ourselves. And, and it's the whole idea that God created us. He designed us. He's not caught off guard when certain things hits our lives. But we need to be prepared. We need to know who God is. We need to know how he operates. We need to get in there and study who he is. So we may be prepared for anything that may touch our lives. Realizing that we're not living for the temporal. We're living for eternity. And so many times we totally miss that. And that's the reason you can find people who have joy in the worst of circumstances because they're not so focused here in the temporal. They're focused on what is to come. Next, to experience joy and laughter, we need to be composed. Composed. Meaning to put things in proper order by having a proper perspective. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, this is a verse I hopefully many of you have probably uh, memorized because this is probably one of your biggest issues in your life. Listen to what it says. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be stressed out about anything. How many of you have mastered that? No one, have we? This is one of these things where it's like, it's, it's almost like, what? He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, thank him for that thing that stresses you out. Thank you for that. And then here's the key. Let your request be known to God. That thing that stresses you out, that thing that makes you anxious, you know what he says? Turn it over to him. Turn it over. Put it on his plate. He can handle it. How many of you, maybe it's taken a long time, but you've seen how that does play out. You, you've gotten to the point where there are certain things that you say, God, I can't handle it. I know you can, and I'm trusting you with this, and you went on and lived your life accordingly. How, how many of you have at least done that in one area of your life or at one point in your life? Yeah, and it blows your mind how God operates in that way. And then he says, and the peace of God, this is the part that blows our mind. And the peace of God, now th keep in mind, this is related to verse six. It's talking about the time of being stressed out. It's talking about the time we worry about our kids. We worry about what's happening tomorrow. We worry about health issues and all these things. He's saying all these things. You can have the peace that is from God in the midst of those things which surpasses all understanding. That means you'll sit there and you'll be amazed at what God is doing in you through your life. And he says, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Why does your heart and your mind need to be guarded? Because the enemy would love to destroy you in that thing that makes you anxious, that causes you to be stressed out. It causes you to, to, to not be composed. He would love to destroy you and all that. Paul said, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be stressed out. I want you to think about it. And, and I want you to think about it from this context. If you only had 30 days to live, most of the things you typically worry about would no longer concern you. You do realize that, right? I recently read someone about on the internet and was talking about this person that was, was giving a tough diagnosis. And they were basically told that whole idea. And, and, and that person said almost immediately everything in their life changed on its head. It's like everything just turned upside down. And what she was trying to explain was the whole idea of those things that were once so important to her were no longer important. And the things that weren't important to her now 
have taken center stage in her life. And it's that whole idea to think that, that you, when, when that happens in a person's life, you're, you're not so focused on your frustrations, your appearance, your bank, bank account. All would, all would fade to those things which are truly important. Paul in these verses is, is encouraging, encouraging us to trade our worry for peace. Worry, think about it, is useless and prevents us from that joy and even the heart of laughter that God desires for all of us. Next, to, be, to experience joy and laughter, we need to be determined. Now, you, be, you may be sitting there thinking, oh, to have joy, you gotta be determined. Isn't this just something that just kind of naturally happens? Let me ask you a question. Does anything in life just kind of naturally happen apart from just sin and acting out in the flesh? <laughs> because that's kind of the way the world... No, you, you gotta be intentional. It goes back to, we gotta be passionate goes back to what we've been talking about. It's that whole idea. Listen, Philippians chapter 4. I want you to look at the very last part of verse 8, which is a very long verse. He says, meditate on these things. I'm getting ready to give you a long list. And I've given you this list before. And we've looked at it many times. But today I want to show it to you in a different light. And so what he's saying here, he says, meditate on these things. The things we're getting ready to discuss. What does that mean? He means to consider these things. You ponder these things. It's written in the present tense, which means you continue to do these things. It means keep these things at the forefront of your mind. It means that uh, where you have to look past them to see anything else. And it's that whole idea that what he's saying, he says, meditate on these things. He's getting ready to give you the list. He says, I want you to put them so close that, that the lens of your life, the lens to your soul, that you literally, to have to see anything, you got to look past these things. That's what he's saying. Now, how many of you know, and we've talked about this before recently, that most of the time things hit us so hard in this life that what happens? That becomes all that we see. Paul is challenging us here in the text to say, hey, let's, let's push all that aside. I'm getting ready to show you what needs to be at the forefront of your mind. I'm getting ready to show you what you need to be meditating on, what you need to be seeing. And it's not the things that you're stressed out about. It's not those things that cause you to worry. It's not those things, those inward feelings that tend to want to seek revenge and all these things. No, I want you to keep these things in mind. Here's a question I have for you. When you wake up in the morning, what are some of the first thoughts that come to your mind? I want you to think about it. Besides, where's the coffee? I know that's a terrible addiction some of y'all have. I understand um, I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm Mountain Dew kind of does the same purpose for me. But anyway, no, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but, but I guess what I'm trying to say in this is, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? H have you ever had these thoughts? Oh, I sure hope I can get through the day. You ever had those thoughts? Now, how have you started that day? Kind of on a bummer, wouldn't you agree? I sure hope I can get through this day. Oh, my goodness, have you seen the list I got to do? Oh, my goodness, no one could do what I've been called to do today. Oh, my goodness, woe is me. I mean, we, we go on and on and on. I've been there. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, I got to confront this. I got to say this. I got to do this. And, and then I, you know what I'm talking about? Is anybody relating to what I'm talking about? How many of you wake up in the morning and say, wonder what God's got in store for me today? Can't wait to see. 
Linda, you, that's where you are. Some people do think that way. I'm convinced that they do. I, I, I know people that make me sick because they're that way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but they do. They have the proper perspective. They wake up. There's a joy about them that seems to look past the issues of the world. Some of you are sitting here and you're saying, yeah, they're living in denial is what they're doing. No, they're not. They're learning to live above the temporal. They're learning to live uh, without the, the junk of this world uh, as a central focus in their life. They're learning to live above all that. And y'all, that takes tremendous discipline. It takes tremend a tremendous work of the Holy Spirit. It takes repentance. It takes transformation. It takes a revolution to get there. That's the reason the Bible says the renewing of your mind it, you know what that literally means? To take your focus from where it once was, which we can assume is not in their best place, and put it in a different perspective. Shed new light on it. See it in a different way. That's what God's word does for all of us. Because we have one message that the world is bringing. We have one message that our, our flesh is bringing. But God's word is a whole different message. It's saying think above these things. So I want you to think about it. What should tomorrow be like? I can't wait to see what God's going to do. It's going to be tough, but I know he's going to see me through. How many of you dread things so bad, and then once you get there, you realize, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You ever been there? How many of you wasted a whole night's sleep thinking about it, only to get there to see that? And you know what? That happens more often than the, than the other. But look at what we waste. Just seems to be a part of the life we live, doesn't it? To experience joy and laughter, be determined. Look on your outline. Be determined. Let there be an inward determination. You see, joy comes from inter internal innocence. If you were to say, okay, what is the heart of joy? What is at the heart of peace? There's some things that is going on in your life that you need to get a hold of. So number one, he says, be real. Be real. True. Philippians 4, 8. Look at the very first. Finally, brother. I've given you all these details, but here's, here's, here's the focus. Here's what you need to be looking at. He says, finally, brother, whatever things are true, and then what does it say at the end of verse 8? Meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. It means when it says true, when it says real, it means not plastic, but genuine and sincere. Be yourself. Be real. Be true. All these in the context of what God's created you to be. Now, the only way to be true to yourself is to be true in your relationship to God. Did you know that? We can fool everyone on the face of the planet. And by the way, we've seen that happen in the media, haven't we? We've seen people that some of you, I mean, I hate to say it this way, you wake up two in the mornings, you get their perspective on the television networks, and all of a sudden you realize there's a whole different life under there. No sincerity. Nothing that was real was what you thought was sitting in front of you. And it's that whole idea that God does know, and he knows you best. Listen, it means to be transparent. It means to quit wasting so much time hiding your secrets and terrified that you can be discovered. But to be transparent, to go ahead and bring it out there in the open and say, yes, I need repentance in my life. I need transformation in my life. I need whatever God you offer because I am sick and tired of hiding my secrets. I am sick and tired of living something that I'm not really that person in. Just being true. That's where joy comes from. Next, 
that inward determination. Be respectful. It means, it's the whole idea of being noble. Look at what he says in verse 8. Whatever things are noble, meditate on these things. It means those things that are honest, those things that are honorable. Our thoughts should be honorable. Listen to this. If you shared your thoughts with someone, I mean, at the deepest root of who you are, would they be honorable thoughts? It's a tough one, isn't it? Matter of fact, the opposite of honorable, you'll never guess what it is, is shameful. Shameful. That's the opposite of it in this context. It's the opposite. Listen, we live in a world where shame has come out of the closet. Shame is demonstrated in so many different ways. We used to say, well, this thing came out of the closet. This thing came out of the closet. Listen, shame came out of the closet. Everything is out there now. Wicked and unwholesome thoughts breed depression, which keeps us from joy. It brings discouragement. Next, be determined. Inward determination. Be righteous. It's the whole idea of being just. Look at what he says in verse 8 again. Whatever things are just, meditate on these things. It literally speaks of harmony with God in thought and motive. Now, here's a question. Are your thoughts in step with God? Better question. Are your thoughts acceptable to God? Do they bring you peace and innocence? Next, inward determination. We move from inward determination to outward determination. And again, this is in the context of being determined to live a life of joy. He says, be pure. And that word pure means pure. <laughs> Look what he says. Whatever things are pure, meditate on these things. It means stainless, undefiled. It means honest in your dealings with others. It means to experience true joy as a Christian we only come about things from a heart of innocence. Next, be determined, that outward, be pleasing, be lovely. What does he say? Whatever things are lovely, meditate on these things. It speaks of harmony with others. My life, listen, is not to be one that causes conflict, but a life that causes harmony. It doesn't mean you, you don't confront things that need to be confronted, but you know how to confront those things that need to be confronted. You do it in a way that brings honor to God. You do it in a way that the person can receive what you have. You don't just go spew on someone. You, you do it in an honorable way. You do it in a pleasing and loving way. Next, to experience joy and laughter, be determined. There's that outward determination. Be positive. It means of good report. Now, I'm not talking about those prosperity and positive preacher type things. But, but how many of you have noticed, look at what it says. Whatever things are a good report, meditate on these things. Be someone who's appealing. Be someone who builds up. When others leave your presence, do they feel lifted up or beat down? Some of you may be sitting here today and you're thinking, well, you don't know my children. I didn't beat them down. They'd be all over the place. No, I understand some of the context of what you're talking about. But here's what we need to understand. We've been called to build them up. We need to find ways to build them up. And sometimes does it take a beat down? Yeah, yeah. There's times I had to get in front of my kids at times and say, hey, we're going to deal with this. <laughs> but even in that, what's the goal? What's the goal of discipline? What's the goal of that? To build them up. Not, not just to come after them, not just to beat them down where you crush your spirit. It's not the way God deals with us. Next, 
Outward determination, be courageous, speaks of virtue. Look at verse four, uh, verse eight again. If there's any virtue, meditate on these things. Speaks of moral excellence, doing the right thing. Listen to this. It's not just doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing when the right thing is needed, when it's needed, when it's necessary. It's not waiting to see if someone else will do it. That's the problem many times in the church. We keep waiting for someone else to do it. We wait, we're waiting for the next church to do it. We're waiting for this to do it. We, we never ourselves step up to the plate. And many times it takes tremendous courage for me. And, and you're saying, well, you're making, no, I'm just, I can speak from my experience. The most courageous thing, one of the most courageous things I've ever done in my life was to overcome speaking in front of people. It really was. It had to be God working in that. Y'all, and some of you have witnessed this yourself. I've been in front of people and actually almost hyperventilated and passed out. Can you imagine that happening here today? If it ever happens, it's probably not my heart. I'm just slap nervous. <laughs> But, but it is, and God has had to do a work in my life. And, and you know what? It takes courage to stand up in front of someone, vulnerability to stand up, some, up in front of someone when you don't know how your body's going to react to it. But you got to be courageous. you got to step out. you you got to say, God, I, this is just something. But listen, in, in my weakness, can you finish it? You are strong. You're strong. we got to be courageous. Next. Be commendable. That means to be praiseworthy, meaning worth commending to others. Listen, I am commending something that I use myself. I cannot commend something that I do not know about or have not yet experienced. Matter of fact, this morning, I'm sharing with you some thoughts I came across this past week in God's word that, that helped me, and now I'm commending them things to you. you. You see what I'm saying? You've been around people that just lifted you up in that way? Hey, can I, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something God's word showed me this week? Can I share what God showed me personally? Can I share with you what, what, what God has, has demonstrated through another person's life in my life? That kind of talk. How do we become determined to do something that brings joy and laughter to our lives? I want to go to the next thing, if you'll skip those verses there. To experience joy and laughter, we need to learn to be content. Now, you say, you've discussed this before, haven't you? Yeah, but I really want you, to, I want you to understand this. This is the problem, okay? Look at verse 11. Paul said, not that I speak in regard to need. I'm not trying to manipulate you and trying to tell you something I need. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. That means I know how to do without. And I know how to abound. I know how to deal with a whole bunch. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. And here's the verse we always claim about anything in our lives. But he's using it in the context of contentment. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can learn to be content. Listen, being content is not natural. How many of you know that? It's not natural. It has to be learned. It takes discipline to live a life of contentment. Being content, listen, directly affects your ability to be joyful. Being, listen, if you're not content, then you are never grateful for what you have. You know what I'm talking about? Never grateful for what you have. 
I mean, I mean, let's put it on the bottom shelf. How, how many of you remember, and I've shared this with you before, I, I think there's new shows out there that do the same thing. How many of you remember Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? You remember that guy, Robin Leach? You remember? Had a British accent. I mean, British can make language. I mean, that, that accent makes anything sounds expensive, doesn't it? You know? And, and he would get out there and show you how some people are living. How many of you would sit there and think, now, why can't I have half of what they have? Why can't I have what they have? God hasn't blessed me because I don't live like that. Where's my gold-plated toilet seat? I don't have one. You, you know what I'm talking about? I'm not so sure those shows do us any favors. How many of you have ever seen a car commercial and you thought to yourself, that is one classic car. I will not be complete until I'm sitting in that car and it be mine. You, you ever felt any of that? You look out there and see young junk sitting out there in the yard, and you think, it's a bunch of junk. No, that's what God's blessed you with. Well, it's got 300,000 miles on it. Well, be thankful it's got you this far. <laughs> I mean, think about those things. Think of they, I mean, if we're never content, we will never get to the point where we're grateful. And beyond that, if we're not grateful, we will never have joy because we're always thinking about what we don't have. Application, God created us with the ability. This is amazing. God created us with the ability to laugh and cry before we could even say one word. Did you know that? How many of you love to see a baby laugh? That's one of the greatest joys that you could ever experience is to see a baby laugh. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to weep and what? A time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. You see, so many times we think the Christian life is, oh, we must be solemn, laughing in church. Not supposed to do that. Oh, my goodness, we can't make fun. We go on and on and on. I'm going to confess something to you. We kept the grandbabies. I know, here's another grandbaby story. I hadn't done this in about three weeks. Give me a break, okay? Kept them Friday, and they wanted to watch Captain Underpants. You ever seen that, Joker? I wasn't sure they could really supposed to see it because I'm sitting there thinking, some of them cartoons aren't fit for kids to see. And so I'm sitting there, and I said, have y'all seen this before? Yes, Granddad, we've seen this before. And then I was really wondering if they, what were, were they playing me? What was going on here? And, and then it would come on, and the little one would tell me what's coming up next, and I was relieved. Oh, yeah, obviously you've seen this before. And so what was interesting about that is they're, they're up there, and, and, and I was sitting there watching this cartoon. I took the time to do it. And, and, and it was Captain Underpants. He's the hero. The villain is, I think it's the coolest name ever, is Professor Poopy Pants. I mean, it, it's just, <laughs> I'm sitting there watching this, and the whole plot of this movie is this. Professor Poopy Pants is trying to steal laughter from the children. I'm sitting there like, that's about the sermon tomorrow. <laughs> but you know something I enjoyed is watching my grandchildren just laugh, just have a belly laugh over some of the stupid Professor Poopy Pat. I mean, the little one, I mean, he just lit up. He's like, granddaddy, that's our language. And he came and sat with me and we were talking. And, but just seeing them laugh. How many of you remember when you were a child and you just laughed? I know some of you didn't have the blessing of that. There's probably been abuse in this room and what you've had to go through, and I'm sorry for all that. But 
just laughing. Don't you, wish, don't you wish you could get back to that time in your life where there was just such an innocence about who you are? That there was such an innocence that you had peace and, I mean, it wasn't anything to trigger that laugh because you were meditating on these things. Because you're not busy hiding your secrets and, and, and living something you're not really. And, and now it's like, I'm out from under all that. And I can just laugh like when I was a child. How many of you missed that? It's possible to come back. It's possible to lay your life before God. Say, you know something? I want that back. I want that back. I live with so much guilt. I live with so much shame. I'm so, I'm so afraid of being discovered. I'm so afraid what may, may be said. Or Listen, there's nothing greater than coming back. To, to, to that point in your life where there was an innocence. To that point where you understood the full meaning of what Christ had done on your behalf. Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we just thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. I'm going to ask the ushers if you'll come up at this time. And Father, I know so many times in our life we just we tend to focus on the wrong things. And Lord, just talking to some people here today and things I've heard over the week, uh, I know there's some people in this room dealing with some extreme things in their life, things that are much bigger than they are. But Father, we thank you that we have a greater God than anything this world can throw at us, anything our flesh can do, anything that the enemy seeks to destroy us with, that there's someone greater within us. Lord, help us to meditate on those things. Help us to get the joy back. Help us to get the peace back. Father, we just thank you for it, that you give us that capability. Help us to desire to want to return to that joy, to be innocent before you and others. And Father, I pray, Lord, uh, for this offering. Pray that you'll use it to allow us to, to make you known to this world. We thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.